And uh, as I say it is a joy, we have a few of our students and one of the leaders, Willie Plaza, who are going to come up. So if you would, welcome up Mel, Ryder, Colin, and Willie Plaza to read the text. And if you guys would, would you please rise as we read the word for the message of today. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more, bread, more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the flattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but his, he answered his father. Look these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property in prost with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and he is found. Thank you, guys. Man, today we, uh, we close out on a journey that we started six months ago. And, and, and as we look now again at the prodigal son story, this parable, in the last six months I've, uh, through reading the, this parable, seen myself more and more in the aspect of the prodigal son. And through reading, the more and more that I've done I see myself more and more as the older son has stayed. And also, in the last six months, I've seen my need more and more for the Father's love. In the last six months, I've seen and realized how much more I need Jesus and how much more I need the love of the Father. Now, no matter who you associate yourself with in the story, whether it be the prodigal son or the son who stayed, we realize, and I hope we all realize, that we all are in desperate need of Jesus. We are all needing to remember, to know, to embrace the love of the Father. And as we get into the text, we actually see the first character being the main character that most people miss. But before we get into it, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for your son. Jesus, I thank you for you. Father, I thank you for sending your love to live a life that no one could live. Jesus, you lived the perfect life. You died the death that we deserved. You took on the punishment that we deserve. 
And yet, Lord, as we put our faith and trust in you, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior, Lord, you made it a way for us to be reconciled with the Father. So, Lord, I thank you for your, your love. Thank you for letting us being able to call upon in your name. So, Lord, be with us now as we look at your text, seeking to know you more and live as your kids, knowing your love. And not just knowing it, but sharing it with others. So be with us today, Lord. We ask in your gracious and holy name we pray. Amen. So when we look at this parable, it's interesting because you see the title of it saying the parable of the lost son. But, but actually, we, we miss the main character even in the title. And some scholars even say that, that, that if you actually want to know the true main character of the prodigal son, you find it in the first person that is talked about. And if you read it, you know, it says right from the beginning, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. So we actually see that the main character, the true main character of the prodigal son is the father. And the father is actually mentioned 12 times throughout the 22 verses here. See, it's the father that has this extravagant love. And see, it's the father's love that wants his children to truly love him. It's the father's love that loves his children even when they decide to go wander in darkness. See, it's the father's love that causes his children to remember the compassion and love that he has. And it's that father's love that welcomes his children home. And it's not just the father's love that welcomes him, them home. It's the father's love that celebrates the return of his children and makes it known that these are his children. And it's that father's love that even though sometimes his children are prideful, he still loves them. But as I've seen the father's love, it causes me to think. And this week I've been thinking what are we doing with knowing that love? And so as we see Jesus teaching this parable, we see that the depth of God's love and really the surprising extent of those who are lost and in need of being found. Now, I know we read verses 11 through 32, but if we really understand truly what Jesus is saying, we have to actually go back to verse 1 of chapter 15. And it reads, reads this, verse 1. Now uh, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So we have to understand from the beginning that there was two groups of people listening to Jesus tell this parable, tell this story with meaning. One group listening, that being the tax collectors and the sinners. Another group uh, criticizing, that being the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, we, we see here that the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to what Jesus was saying. They cared because they saw that he cared for them, not because he, he catered to them or compromised on his message or his mission for them. See, he wanted them to understand, hey, I know that, that, that there's people that say you're unholy, that say you're dirty, that you're not deserving, that you're not perfect. Come to say it, you're not good. But guess what? No one is. And Jesus is saying, and not just this parable, but the ones before, the two before, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin. Hey, I came. I came to make everyone reconciled to the Father, reconciled to a holy God. It's only through Jesus that anyone, whether you're a tax collector or a sinner or a Pharisee or a scribe, or you're a mother who has two kids that are sitting in this room right now and the two kids fought on the way to church. Or you're a father wondering, man, I got to figure out how I'm going to get to work tomorrow because guess what? The 15 and the 91 are always backed up. We're all in need of Jesus. 
And the only way that we can be reconciled to a holy, gracious, loving, perfect in every way God is through Jesus. And so we see how he's saying to the tax collectors and the sinners, hey, I'm not going to compromise on my mission, but you need to hear who I am. You need to hear the words that I say. Because it's only through putting your faith and trust in me, as Jesus is saying this, not me, Jesus is saying he's the perfect sacrifice. That only putting your faith and trust in him, you can be reconciled to the Father. And so as he's saying this, you also have to remember that the Pharisees and the scribes were there, right? Those who have been criticizing Jesus. Those who know the Old Testament law, but had a desire for personal purity. Sadly, they had no love for lost souls. So those who thought themselves as holy, Jesus is trying to help them understand, hey, you may look perfect on the outside, but the inside, it's bad. I always equate this to to fool's gold. Anybody seen fool's gold? Remember going to NAS as a kid and thinking you actually got gold? There was one time I remember I took my dad's hammer and just... Sorry to ruin this for any kid in the room. That's not gold. You break that open, guess what? It is black. Sadly, that's the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes. They had missed who Jesus was. They had missed the reason why he came. And they had missed the Father's love. And see, that's the thing. When we start looking at verse 11, we have to understand that the Father's Love, that it's his love that wants his children to truly love him. Verse 11 says, and he said, there was a man, that being the main character of the father, who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered up all that he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, right from the beginning, we see the heart of the younger son. The the younger son was longing for independence. You could see that he didn't want to be at his father's house anymore. You could see that he didn't want to be under his dad's rules anymore. And, And you could see that he was wanting to be in charge of his own life, that he wanted to follow his own rules, that he wanted to do what he thought was best. That idea, that mindset of, my ways are better. And and I see that, sadly, in my almost two-year-old son already now. He's wanting to to go explore on his own. He's wanting to to not listen to me when I'm like, hey, Bubba, if you get up onto that couch, how are you going to get down? He's like, no, no, no. And I'm trying to make sure that that, that he's not going to hurt himself. But like any two-year-old, are they going to understand, hey, dad's actually looking out for me. I think of myself even as a teenager. How many times my parents put rules in place? Not just, you know, keep me under their thumb, but actually for my betterment. We see in this aspect that the younger son was longing to be away from the father, to be independent from his father. We also see that, that he's wanting immediate satisfaction. That the son doesn't want to wait for his inheritance anymore. It's that I've got to have it now. I can't wait. Maybe some of you guys remember uh, this girl. Ryan, if you could put her up. Anybody remember who she is? She is one of the uh, girls from the original Willy Wonka that got the golden ticket. She's, uh, as they're touring the shop, I remember uh, watching in the movie that they get into this room where there's geese that lay golden eggs. Any remember what happens next? She goes into song. So Pastor Shane, here's my uh, choir audition. (laughs) I want the world. I want the whole world. I'm not auditioning for the choir at all. Um, She later goes on to say, I want, they're singing, I want to lock it all in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. And now, 
don't care how, I want it now. You guys remember what happens to her right after, right? That scale that she's, uh, she assumes to sit on, reads bad, and she, we don't know where she goes, but <laughs> she was wanting it now. She was wanting immediate satisfaction. And I always go back, Pastor Shane and uh, all the others always point out, I love my rope. This is my rope. Some of you guys may remember, I keep it up in the youth room. Uh, Pastor Alex was trying to wind it up earlier, and he was like, oh my Lord, how much rope is this? There's 50 feet of rope here. Trust me, I know because this is my rope. Um, I keep it in the back of the youth room. Now, this was an illustration back in the day from Francis Chan, way back in the day when I used to uh, listen to him. But back then, he would teach that this was our present day existence on earth. This was our life now, this red part. And like anybody, sorry to say, there is going to be a day that we die where the red meets the white. White is eternity. Imagine this rope was not 50 feet, that it just kept on going forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. How many people, let's just be honest, try to find satisfaction in this life today? How many people think that finding a spouse, getting into college, getting A's on that report, getting the gold star on my homework on Monday, getting that job promotion, getting that car that I've always wanted, getting that house with the picket fence and 2.5, I don't know how we do that, kids. That'll bring us joy. That'll help us understand what, where true happiness is. And yet we miss the joy of what is to come. The joy of being with the one who created all creation. The one who can look at our hearts, know our thoughts, and says, I still love you. Sally, the younger son, wanted immediate satisfaction. He also, and this is kind of shocking in this time, asked for his father, or from his father his inheritance. In the text, it says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And in that sense, he's literally saying, Dad, give me your life split so I can have what you would have given to me when you die. So in this time, uh, what would happen is the older son would receive two-thirds of the father's property, and the younger son would receive one-third. And the younger son's saying, Dad, I essentially think of you as dead. Give me your life that I am going to get when you die. Give me the share of land that I'm supposed to get. Give me the, the clay jars. Give me the rugs. Give me the clothes. Give me the rings. Give me the money. Give me the goats. Give me the cows. Whatever it is, give it to me now. And it's in that. You think about the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the tax collectors and sinners, all probably thinking, oh man, this boy is about to get it. But under and according to Deuteronomy 21, the law said that a boy that did such a thing should be stoned to death. This kind of rejecting of the father, this kind that comes from pride, of coming from ungratefulness, of coming from rebellion, that is worthy of death. But as much as, or as shocking as it may be to hear how the son was responding to his father in this request. It's shocking to see what the father does. That the father complied with his younger son's wishes. He gave his son his inheritance. And in the original language, that property means life like I talked about. The father literally divided up his entire life in two. Imagine how humiliating and shocking that is. And see, any time that we find our happiness or our identity in anything outside of God, we leave them. It's, it's this idea that, that we are the prodigal son. And we've all been there, haven't we? We have abandoned God in searching for fulfillment in everything else but him. 
And when we do this, we step into a life that is emptiness. You know, there was a, if you show this picture, it's, it's a picture of a clay jar broken. And there was a ceremony back in, in Jewish time that if a Jewish son sold his heirlooms or his inheritance to Gentiles, he would face something known as the kizah, which means a severing of connection or the cutting off. And in this ceremony, they would break a, a, a clay plot or pot at the feet of that person who is leaving to signify that they are permanently rejected. And they are to leave the town, to, to leave the city that they are in, and live anywhere else. See, it's crazy to think, though, that, that the father gave the son what he wanted. That shocking aspect. But I think about it even in myself. I, I want my son not to, to love the things that, that he will inherit from me, that he will get from me. I, I want my little boy, my Bubba, my Scotty boy, to know my love for him. You know, I was putting on my shoes and I found a Lego in my shoe today. He's got Legos, he's got toys, he's got all those things. But when push comes to shove, when he falls down, I want him to run to me because he knows I'm here to care for him. When he's scared that I'm going to protect him. That when he's having a hard day, Dada's going to be there for him. That I love him. And I want him to know that I love him because the Heavenly Father loves him even more. And it's the love of the Father that continues to love his children even when they're wandering in darkness. I mean, you keep on going into verse 14. It says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country and sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. I mean, let's look at it, and let's be honest. The young sons, the, the, the prodigal sons knew life started out successful. And sometimes when we live a life away from God, it starts to look nice. It starts to look a little good. But we also have to be honest, it never stays that way. Sin always does that, doesn't it? Just like the fool's, the fool's gold. It looks nice and shiny and good on the outside. But then you get into the middle of it and it's black, it's ugly. See, the young son went into the far country. He went away from his father. He, he rejected his father. He rejected the rules of the father setting forth for the betterment of his children. And he went and spent all of his money. And what happens? Money runs out. The money that brought friends, when that money leaves, what happens to those friends? Bye-bye. And as that happens, real life occurs. And Jesus tells that, man, it leads to brokenness, loneliness, and even desperation. And that young son that had everything that he would ever need with his father now is reduced to begging for a position. And he takes the lowest job any Israel Jewish boy could take, that of feeding pigs. And if we remember Leviticus 11.7, that under the law, pigs were defiled, dirty, hungry, and disgusting. And what is he doing? He's feeding them. He's in the mud with them. He's getting dirty. He's getting all, ugh. You laugh, but some of us think sometimes that we need to clean ourselves before we come to God. I shared when we were teaching on the prodigal son that at Boy Scout camp, I never got the idea that before I could go swimming in the large body of water, I had to take a quick 30-second shower in a small amount of water. 
I don't understand this. And I think sometimes it's hard for me to comprehend when, when we have to get our life together before we go to God. We got to fix ourselves before we go to the one who transforms us. And we try to do it in our own power, but we sadly always fail. It reminds me of Romans 5, 6, verse, 6 verse, uh, through verse 9. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall be we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, God loves us while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, that we were still in the mud, while we were still wandering in the darkness because we left to go to the far country. We have to remember that sin did not cancel God's love for you or me. And he is looking for us to, to pick ourselves up and come home. And it's that father's love that causes his children to remember the compassion and love that he has. And it's the father's love that welcomes us home. If we go on to verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know, it's interesting when you read verse 17, it says, when, but when he came to himself, that, that came to himself, that coming of sense, it, it is really what they say. It is repentance. It's I've been living this way, this reckless living. I've been going this way, but I understand, no, I'm not anymore. It's a, it's a 180 turn. It is actually going in the opposite direction that you have. It's that idea that, that I'm not living that way anymore. I'm going towards the opposite direction. And it's through him understanding the love and care that the father has that he wants to return home. It's how he sees that, that even the father's servants, and these were, these were day workers. These weren't servants that they had like living on the compound. These were people who were outside the gates that were hired every day to be brought in for specific jobs. They were only hired for specific jobs. They didn't come in every day, but when they were picked, to be brought in. The son knew those people were cared for better than he was cared for. You know, it's crazy that, that we think about the father's love, the compassion of the father. I grew up in the church. I have a really bad OCD complex. Um, Pastor Shane used to joke when, when we lived together, uh, I, I have one finger width between each of my shirts uh, in my closet. I love things like folded certain ways. It actually kind of goes up to how the youth room is and how we keep it clean and organized. My office, like everything is, I love, uh, that's the reason why I love hotels. You ever walk into a hotel and like everything's clean and like precisionly put? Yes, I love that stuff. <laughs> that, that's the reason why uh, back in the day, Ryan, if you show that photo, uh, I went on a trip. I went to a youth conference um, I'm in the far back with my finger up, thumbs up. Uh, the youth pastor at the time, um, he, he wanted me to come because of how OCD I was, that he knew that I would keep us where we need to be going. He, I would keep all the paperwork. We had to take flights, so I had all the paperwork like nicely in a, a three-ring binder, things laminated that needed to be laminated. It was all like, he was just like, man, I just come and hang out with the kids. I was like, no, okay, here we go. We got to go over here. This is what we're eating for lunch today. This is the tickets that we need for after. It was a good trip. <laughs> it also changed my life. Um, I, I remember at that conference, I, I remember uh, being in a place where, and I grew up in the church, 
where the things I did before, um, the things I thought of, the things I, I the actions that I partook in, uh, caused me to think that I could never have the love of the Father. But these other youth kids, they could. Those kids, those kids can not just know it, but they can embrace that love. And so I went to help them. And it was uh, Wednesday night. There's one of the students, his name's David. I'll never forget his face. Wednesday night, we had all the youth kids of our group kind of come together and they were just praying. And, and I remember David prayed this prayer. And he said, God, I push you away daily, yet you still love me. God, I spit in your face daily, yet you still love me. And it was in those moments where I just, I, I broke, broke down. I go, how long? I mean, I grew up here in the, the David and the Goliath. I've heard the stories of Moses. I've heard the promises of God. I remember how faithful he is. The love that he has for sending his son to do only what his son can do. The death, burial, of, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've heard about that. But I listened to the lies of Satan that caused me to put my hands up and figuratively say, I cannot accept the love of the Father. And in those prayer, in that moment, as that student said those words, God, I push you away daily, yet you still love me. God, I spit in your face daily, yet you still love me. I couldn't help but put my hands down. I remember going to the, the, the hotel later that night and just falling on my knees and just saying, God, thank you for loving me. There's no way I could love you as much in return, but help me love you the way you want me to. It's that coming to sense. It, it, it's that, that, that 180 turn. It's remembering the love of the Father. And you read in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him. You know, I was thinking, man, as this father is waiting, hoping, praying for his son to come home, he, he's thankful for the moon and the sun and the stars in the sky that he could keep watching the road that his son walked down on. And, and, and it caused me to think, man, if we go to that photo of the, the, the sun and, and the earth, look how big the sun is compared to the earth. You know, if we hollowed out the, the sun, you know we could put 1.3 million earths inside of it. When you start thinking about the sun, the, the earth, the moon, and the stars caused me to think of Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on, on high and see who created these, who brings these out, their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. You know, with the technology that we have, that there's over 400, if you show that picture, 400 billion stars in the Milky, Galaxy, Milky, Gal Milky Way galaxy. There are over 125 million galaxies in the universe. That means there's a total of 100, or, uh, 10 billion trillion stars. And on top of that, God who created all of these stars, the Holy One of Israel, calls them all by name and ensures not one of them is missing. Don't miss that the God of the Bible will surely never forget even one of his children. And we see that, that as the son returned, in verse 20, he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, I was talking to one of our uh, members uh, who was here first service. He is actually a marathon runner. He's run a couple marathons. I asked him, could you ever imagine running in a robe? He did not respond, but only laughed at me. 
Now, people only run today because either they're being chased, they're working out. Typically, it's like guys who forget something at the store and are already late for something. Or it's a parent running after their kid. We see the father running to his kid. We see the father running to his son. He actually picks up his robes, they say, to his knees, which would be considered shameful and undignified for a man of his stature. Why did he run, though? Because he loved his son. Remember everything that the son had hoped for to find in the far country, the clothes, the jewels, the friends, the celebration. He had that all at home. But what's the difference? was the father's love. He knew with the father, that's where true love was found. And we see the father embracing his son. We see the father literally picking up his son. It's kind of what they, they, the scholars say is a bear hug picking up. And when they say he kissed him, we sadly had to put our dog two, down two weeks ago. And one of the things I always love about that dog, she was a klutz. Um, she would hit herself running because she was so happy. And, and I remember at our house, uh, you come in from the garage, you go through the laundry room, and there's a corner. She would come 95 miles down the hall, hit her body on the door, and I would be like, oh, no, Kuma. But she would always be jumping up, always jumping up, and then she would kiss you. And you know, like dog kisses... It is uncontrollable. It is all over your face. You're like trying to keep them down, but they just want to show you love. And that's what I love about having a dog. No matter what day you're having, no matter what news you got, no matter if it was a good or rough or hard day, that dog just wants to be with you. That dog just wants to love you. And that's what, an example of what they're saying of that embrace right there. As the son has come home, the father's love, man, he wants to celebrate it. He wants to make known that this child of his is his. And you read that in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, you hear his confession. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I love how how this son, Jesus is telling it so that he understands and that we know as an audience, before I fix this relationship that the son has with his father, he needs to fix this relationship. And sometimes when we think we have to fix this relationship, we have to wonder what this relationship looks like first. And so I love how he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against the Holy One and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But I love the response of the Father. But the Father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive in verse 24. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. As you look at that, you see the best robe, probably his father's own robe. You see rings that signify royalty, that that, that he's part of the family and sandals. Man, no servant would wear sandals. You see that the father's wanting everyone to know, not just in his household, that this is his son, but what does he tell the the servants to go do? Hey, go get the fattened calf. Because it's not just for this household to know that this son has come home, but I want everyone to know. He loves his boy. He wants to celebrate, celebrate that he has come home. And it's in that we have to think that he goes from tattered clothes to the best clothes into the house. He goes from hands that that were dirty, that were feeding pigs, to bearing jewelry that that was family-owned. And man, from cracked and dirty and muddy feet to wearing sandals. And I love how he says, not just to bring it quickly, but to put it on him. He's wanting everyone to know See, according to the law, there would have been a funeral. But see, the love of the Father causes there to be a feast. 
And I love how the father also never asks him, hey, what'd you do with my money? Hey, who were you with? Hey, for that time when you left home and you come back, what were you doing? His love just says, no, you're home. That is in the past. We celebrate now. And that's what I love is you see that love of the father, but also the love we have to remember is present even when we're prideful. And as Jesus wanted to show that the, the, to the sinners and tax collectors, hey, I've come. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who, who is bringing those who were sinners to, to be reconciled to a, to a holy God. This message in this text is also for the Pharisees and the scribes. Those who were prideful, it reads in verse 25, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. I love how it's in this story that you see that the older brother wasn't waiting and looking out for the younger son. He was out in the field doing what he was told to do. He was doing what he felt he needed to do. And he heard this partying. He heard this dancing. And he said to him, that being a servant, uh, what was going on in verse 27, it says, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. I, I would love to, to see that played out. That servant who's probably ecstatic that the son has come home, that the father was excited that his, his son was come home, and then having the, the joy of going to the older brother, hoping and thinking, man, he's going to celebrate like the father. Hey, your brother, he's come home. It's time to party. We killed the fattened calf. Let's go. Your dad is so ecstatic. Your brother has come home. But we see the reply in verse 28. He was angry and refused to come in. That pride. That pride we see, but, but, but in, before that we even see the love of the father. His father came out and entreated him. There was a, a photo I showed, uh, Rembrandt's painting before. Remember, it's the father embracing the prodigal son. You can see the, the son had tattered clothes. One of his sandals is off his feet, no shoes at all. Dirty being embraced by his father. And as there's people in the background, you see one prominent member to the left or to the right. He, he's got the, the, the same kind of beard, the same red coat. The nose is the same. Rembrandt took some uh, creative license in the, the painting of the prodigal son painting to signify that being the older brother. Pridefully looking down at his brother who came home. Probably having those thoughts. Well, what did you do with the money? Who were you with when you were gone? What were you doing? And even probably pridefully looking at his father, thinking and looking at him thinking, why are you welcoming home? And you actually read his thoughts as Jesus says, look these many years in verse 29, I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. See, it's in these moments that we see the true heart of the other son, what I think we could call the other lost son, the one who sought to do only what he thought he was called to do, but never had a relationship with his father. He was waiting ultimately for what he could get from his father. And you could actually read about that when he's saying, man, where was the young goat for me and my friends? He heard the, the party. He saw the party. But he didn't care about his father. That's why we read he wanted the young goat. Because he only wanted to be with his friends. And yet I love how the response of the father, even though the son is prideful, even though the, the father has already come, come out to him, 
begging him, when he could have sent the servant. And the father could have gone to the the servant and told the son before he he said he wasn't going to come in, hey, you know what? Keep my son out there. Better yet, tell him to just stay out there for the night. He needs to learn a lesson. Or he could have told the servant, hey, you know what? Get that little boy. Tell him that he needs to come up here now because I'm telling him to. But we see the father out of his love Not just go out and beg and plead with his son to come home. He also calls him son. In verse 31, he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. You know, I I remember, uh, if you could do this one last photo, Ryan. Greg Caffield is here. He's our uh, grounds guy. He does a lot of things. Greg, I promise, we... when I was at another church, we did this event with uh, paint and water dye. We did slip and slides that in the kiddie pools. We put a lot of dye, and the kids would like play kickball and slide into the kiddie pools. The kids loved it. The other thing, sadly, we did is we filled paint uh, uh, water balloons with paint and water, and then we launched the kids launched them up in the air, and then they had laundry. This is youth ministry, laundry bu- buckets or laundry baskets to catch the water balloons. I thought this was the fun, most enjoying, like best game the youth can play. We did the water balloons. It like launched. No kids caught them in their laundry baskets. They all splattered on the ground. We're like, cool, we'll come back, pick up the little leftover uh, balloon kind of plastic after it exploded, uh, after we came to the field and did the kickball. Come to find out, uh, with paint and water, but the amount of paint that we put in there, the back parking lot of the church had massive paint spills all across the whole parking lot. And we're like, okay, cool. We'll just get the hose and we're good to go. After that, paint didn't move. <laughs> Luckily, our grounds guy, I can see Greg's foot just tapping right now. Like, don't you dare do it again. Um, luckily, our grounds guy was like on vacation for a week. So me and my boss, David Bartosik, uh, were outside for about six, seven hours the next day with steel brushes scrubbing the parking lot. Uh, And I remember David telling me and asking me for the whole time, Matt, why do we do what we do? Like, for the kids to have fun. And he'd be describing, no. And we'd go on to something else and he'd come back to that same question. Matt, why do we do what we do? And you know, after like four, five times, you kind of get to the point with someone where you're like, just tell me the answer you want me to give you. (laughs) And he looked at me and goes, Matt, yeah, we want the kids to have fun. But the most important thing ever, they know who Jesus is. So we have our, our youth leaders here to spend time with them, to talk about life, to talk about Jesus, to, to answer questions that they have. But all of it, all of it's wrapped up in Jesus. Everything from the moment they come to this campus to the moment they leave is for them to know, to experience, and embrace the love of God. And ever since that conversation, you could ask our leaders, from the moment our students walk onto this campus to the moment they leave, everything we do is centered on Jesus. And it's hard sometimes when we get prideful. When we think about doing ministry, doing the things that God has called us to do, and we start forgetting the love that he has poured out. And we start doing things because we feel we need to, instead of loving him the way we want to, the way that he's called us. You know, it reads in verse uh, 32, as a father is continually expressing his love, as he said, son, after all the pridefulness of what the older brother has said, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. He goes on to say, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You know, I, I want, and I tell our students, I don't talk about unbelievers as unbelievers. I, I, I My hope and prayer is to see everybody come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So I call them yet to believe. 
those who have yet to believe in Jesus. And so to me, my hope, my prayer is that all come, people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you know, our church, we've talked about, it, our church is putting on one of the biggest outreaches this past, in, the next, uh, in the next 48 hours. On Tuesday, we're putting on the Harvest Fest, a safe, fun, and enjoying night where, where families can come, they can fellowship, our youth putting on a fundraiser for camp, there's trunks of treats, there, there's jump houses, there's so many different things. My challenge, as we want to see those who were once dead to come and be alive, that were lost to come to be found, we want to share the love of Christ, right? We want to share the gospel. That night, we'll present the gospel. My question to you is, what are we doing with the love of God? We have these uh, owls. Brenda has made this cute little card. And uh, Angie Plaza has kind of put uh, a few little things in here that you could build and create. In the next 48 hours, I challenge you. Who is someone a family, a co-worker, a friend, a teammate that we can invite to Harvest Fest. That we can help them know the love of Christ. It even says Jesus on the little name tag thing too. Who's someone that we can share the love of the Father? That we can help them see the truth of who they are, who God is. And through and because of Jesus, we can be reconciled to a holy, gracious, loving God. Anybody can get those tags in the back in the foyer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the love that you have sent in the form of your Son. A love like no other. Lord, help us to not just only speak that love and share that love, but live that love out in every aspect of our life. For Lord, we want to see those who were once dead come alive, those who were lost be found. We thank you for what your son has done. For Lord, there is none like him. And Lord, we love you. So help us love you the way you have called us to. Help us love one another the way you have called us to. And Lord, we thank you for that love. So Lord, be with us today, Lord, as we continually worship you here in this place. Amen.